0: My name is Melanie Wilkie, and I hate lies. I hate them because when they're present, believed, and taken as truth, they undermine confidence, rob opportunity, and seed confusion, misunderstanding, and broken relationships. Lies can even kill. Lies take where the truth brings life. But this podcast exists to fight the lies that bind, to reveal truth, and to see wholeness restored to places of brokenness. So welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me today for Episode 5 of the Fighting Lies Podcast. Today we're going to tackle a lie most common and most egregious. And that is that death, loss, and hardship in life prove that God's promises can't be true and that he is not good. Now, truth be told, this discussion is going to open up quite a few different cans of worms, not all of which we're going to tackle today. But please don't worry, because ultimately we will come to answers that we really need regarding all kinds of things that we experience in this life, including hardship And hurt. So, obviously, what we're going to talk about today figures very closely in with the concept of how could a God who is loving allow evil and terrible things to happen in this world? An excellent question, as you well know, and one that we will touch on as we move through today's content. However, we will be saving our exhaustive discussion on that topic for a future episode, so please stay tuned. The real question that we're going to get into today is really about God's character, about his person and his nature. Is he good or is he not? And what is it that proves his goodness or lack thereof? Now, a very important thing to keep in mind as we continue down this road is that God is unchangeable. A foundational piece of this conversation comes from the fact that we can rely on the Lord to be Himself yesterday, today, and forever, that He's unchanging in the world around us. He's not fickle, and He's certainly not swayed. Knowing this, it's completely appropriate then to go back to the very beginning as we begin to discern the goodness, or lack thereof, of God towards humanity. So we're going to do that. We're going to start today in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, foundational for everything that we can know about God, and personally, two chapters of scripture that I personally love to talk about. And here's why. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 give us a bird's eye view of what God's intention for mankind was when he created us way back at the beginning. Reminding again here that who he was then, he is today, and who he is today, he will be for all time. Because we could see the heart of God in Genesis 1 and 2, we can know the heart of God in 2023. So today I want to encourage you to walk with me through Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as we explore the person of God and his ideal for humanity at large. How exciting is it that the backdrop of these first two chapters of the book of Genesis are all about life? Does that sound familiar? I think it probably does. Because in previous episodes, we've been very focused on the fact that God's word is life and his intent is life. Here in chapter one of Genesis, we begin to understand with real detail um, the kind of life that the Lord is dealing in when he puts his words to work. If you haven't ever read these chapters, I recommend that you do so. I think you'll really enjoy them. But for now, let's just say this. Genesis chapter one is largely focused on the creation of the world at large. The land, the sea, the sky, let there be light, remember? It's worth noting, very worth noting, That after each piece of God's creation is completed, He makes the determination as He looks upon His created works that they are good. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord refers to His creation as good. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, it says, The Lord God saw everything that He had made, and indeed, it was very good. What a compliment, right? So what did we learn here? We learn that God only creates good things, that his acts of will lead to goodness. But as we can clearly see through the latter end of Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning and throughout Genesis chapter 2, he didn't do this for no one. He actually did it for someone, and that would be to someone's, Adam and swiftly to follow Eve. Let's step back for a moment to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. After creating a world whose land and seas are teeming with life, per scripture, the Lord clearly considers it still incomplete. Another piece of God's nature that we won't unpack today is that he is complete and he brings completion. So recognizing lack here, he will act and he does act to bring completion. Genesis chapter 1, says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now, there are so many things about these verses that are important, and we will be unpacking them over time. But for the moment, this is what I want to share, that despite all the goodness that God had already created, it wasn't whole, it wasn't all complete until humanity had entered the scene. Now I have to say that it's after this, it's after this creation of male and female and this blessing over them that is spoken, that the Lord says that he looks upon all the things that he had made and declared them very good. All that had been declared good by God, even as each piece was rolled out, so to speak, became very good after its completion, when humanity is formed out of the dust of the earth and a rib by the Lord himself. Now, I want to flash forward, so to speak, out of Genesis, back to Matthew chapter 12, which you'll recognize as we just recently spoke about this in a previous episode. Here's the background. Once again, Jesus is fielding questions, concerns, and a whole lot of complaints from the Pharisees. And in the midst of this conversation, he decides to make a distinction that's important, even as we look at Genesis 1 and 2. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. Now, Remember how I've mentioned before that the Bible is a cover-to-cover, Holy Spirit-breathed, self-confirming work? Here in Matthew, Jesus, who cannot lie and who always speaks the truth, says, basically, as you'll recall, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Out of the abundance of a man's heart, they speak. Or, in the case of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, out of the abundance of the heart of God, he creates. Since this question about whether or not God is good is an indictment of his character, we actually have to respond in terms of his character. If it's true that out of the treasures of a man's heart he speaks and or does, how much more so would it be the case that out of God's heart he would also do? The Lord says in Isaiah 55 that his ways are higher than our ways— that his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. God is superior to mankind in all the ways. However, he wasn't haughty so that he would deny us traits that reflect his own. Let me just stop and say here, isn't that cool? Before moving on, to bring the point home that if this notion explained by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 is true of man, it's absolutely true of God himself. What was in the well came up in the bucket. So we understand then that the creation of all the good that we see reflected in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is proof, evidence, fruitfulness of the good character of God. Is God good? Well, by the evidence of his great creation, we can confidently say, yes, he is. Now, we don't have time today to go over each of these pieces and parts in detail, but there's a long list of things that I want to share with you that were intended by God for humanity from the beginning. And we know about these things because of all that was described in God's creation in these first two chapters of our Bible. In other words, not only did God create humanity, but he created humanity with great good in store for them. For example, we find in Genesis 1.28 that the Lord's first act towards humanity was to bless them. He provided them with purpose, not just by commanding that they be fruitful and multiply, but also by offering them the opportunity to tend and keep this great creation that he made. He literally placed his entire creation, all the goodness of his hands, under the care of Adam and Eve. Talk about an incredible affirmation of his faith in humanity, of his hope for them. He clearly knew that they were capable of doing all that he had set their hand to, and was fully prepared to watch them do what they do. If that alone doesn't express to us his goodness, kindness, and graciousness, I'm not actually sure what even would. But the list of his good things for you and I doesn't stop there. He fully intended for us to have communion with each other and with himself. We know that Adam and Eve enjoyed faith-filled communion with one another and with God because it's the very thing that they lost, as noted in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, where after the fall, in verse 9, It says that the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And in verse 10, Adam replies and says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, the opposite of faith is fear. And this is clearly a drastic change in the way that God and Adam and Eve had once interacted with one another. Because now their relationship is tainted by fear, We know that the opposite was true before, that their relationship was one of comfort and trust. I would say peace and simple enjoyment of the company of one another. And that was God's intention all along. After all, he created humanity for that very connection. But I genuinely cannot neglect to mention that God's intention for humanity is also the opposite of what we see and experience today In that, God set humanity in the middle of incredible physical and natural abundance. Let's jump back to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8, where it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first was Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hiddekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. I hope you can hear throughout each of these verses that the Lord set humanity, Adam and Eve, and intended for you and I to experience a kind of abundance that we cannot imagine today. Scarcity is the watchword in our world, but it wasn't always so, and it certainly wasn't God's intent. Water, gold, precious stones, food and fruit in abundance, work to do, purpose, value, I think you get the picture, right? One of my favorite economic concepts is that people express their preferences with their actions. For example, I never really realized how much I love the color purple until I stopped and looked around at my coat, my backpack, erasers, pencils, all kinds of things that I purchased that were the color purple. My preference was expressed in my spending. So if we apply this concept to the Lord himself, as we're walking through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what do we find? We find that God's preference for humanity is goodness. We find that his preference for humanity is that they experience a fullness, a wholeness, value, purpose, and abundance that all their needs are met and they lack for nothing. Let's be honest. Does that sound like the character and nature of a wicked and adversarial foe? I don't think so either. So here we are. To the place where we can flashback for a third time to the notion that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That who he was then is who he is now. In other words, God expressed his preference for good as he created and formed everything that we see. And as we know, that preference had to come from somewhere. Well, it comes from the nature and character of God. God is good, and he desires good. Let's not ever forget that he never changes. He is always the same. And so we can conclude with great confidence That because God's goodness was revealed to us way back at the beginning, way back at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we can rely on him still being good today. And of course, he'll be good tomorrow too. But before we leave this discussion for the moment, I'd like to take a look at this through one more lens. For this, I want to turn our attention to a passage of scripture that has so many implications. I'm sure that you'll hear me reference it time and time again as we um, continue to explore the truth of who God is. Underlying these verses is a new revelation about God's revelation, and that is how far he is willing to go to make sure we understand who he is. It also highlights an important work of the Holy Spirit that maybe we otherwise wouldn't notice. So look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in which Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 64 and 65 and says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. These verses help us to understand a couple of important things. Well, more than a couple, actually, but a couple that we'll focus on today. The first is actually an affirmation of the individual and the heart and a mind of a man. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The underlying point of these two verses being that each of us are affirmed once again to be individuals inside of our hearts and minds are packed deep and secret things that no one really can share unless we share it with them. Every person has the opportunity to be an island, as they say, to keep our thoughts and experiences to ourselves. We don't have to share anything with anyone if we don't have to. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us, The same is true of God. Verse 10 finishes up with the reality that no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. He doesn't have to share himself with us either. We wouldn't ever be able to know or understand him unless he made a way for us to do so. Specifically, Paul is referring to the great things that the Lord has prepared for those who love him. But in general, this statement will always be true. God's revelation to us is a gift for our benefit that we can know and understand and see him for who he is. Because knowing him literally changes everything, right? And we know now that he does this by his spirit. Verse 12 sums it up by saying, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He wants us to know Him, and His Holy Spirit is how He accomplishes that work. What in the world, you might be thinking, does this have to do with whether or not God is good? Well, first of all, His desire for us to know Him on its own is good. It's a giving of Himself to us. And let's face it, God is God. He doesn't owe us that. So to give us understanding of Himself freely? Wow. That is good. But it goes even beyond that, doesn't it? Since it's by his spirit that we're able to know who he is, we can count on the fact that the characteristics of his spirit reflect his very heart. Remember, no man will know the things of God except by the spirit of God who is in him. So it's by the expression of the spirit of God that we know who he is at heart. Let's turn then to Galatians chapter 5, where we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can bet that these are the qualities that are found in God that the Holy Spirit reveals to us from His very heart and mind. So we evaluate, are these things good? Love? Joy? Joy? Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? I think so. So in case it's not enough for us to know that God was good once, the Holy Spirit comes to remind us on a continual everyday basis that God is still good today. It's just true. He is good. So what then? What happened? If God is good and only ever good, Then where did all this corruption come from? Why do we see suffering and loss in the world? And isn't it reasonable then to conclude that because all these things exist, God isn't actually good today? For this, we step back then to Genesis chapter 3, an account that I'm sure most of us are fairly familiar with. The fall of man. I have to tell you, it's tempting for me to walk through this account with incredible detail but that's really not what we're here for today so we'll do that in a future episode for today we're going to focus on the person that has introduced sin and loss into our world represented in genesis chapter 3 by a serpent who verse 1 says was more cunning than any beast of the field which the lord god had made the bible describes lucifer satan in a number of different ways as you read through its pages. Most commonly, he's referred to as the enemy of our soul, a thief, a liar, a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He is not our friend. And I think this is well evidenced in Genesis chapter 3 when he calls into question the Word of God. I'll pause here to remind you that God's Word is life, It brings life, it fosters life, it sustains life. So, when Satan, that enemy of our soul, brings doubt to the hearts and minds of mankind that God's word is good, what does that do? You Got It introduces the opportunity for loss, death, strife, hardship, hurts, and wounds to be a part of our new world. So... Who is the source of all the damaging things that we experience in this world? Is it God that's not good? Absolutely not. Using his primary tactic of lies to convolute our understanding of God and to malign his nature and person, the enemy of our souls perpetrates great harm upon humanity and the world that we live in. And 1 John 1.19 is clear that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The entrance of sin and corruption into our world through that original sin continues to impact everything that we see, feel, do, hear, and experience in our lives. Now here is where I finally get to say the thing I love to say so much. We must stop giving God credit For the enemy's work. I'm going to say it again, maybe even a little louder this time. We must stop giving God credit for the enemy's work. Death and loss were never God's plan for humanity. And we can know that with incredible certainty, not only as we review the first two chapters of the Bible, but also as we look ahead to the final three. I know this world is harsh, to say the least, and I understand that patience is something that it's harder and harder to have every day. It honestly feels sometimes like the whole thing is going to spin apart, or at the very least that it should. But I'm not going to be able to contain my excitement about God's great redemptive work. Because He is good, because He has always been good. Because he will always be good, we have much to look forward to and much to be patient for. Just because it's one of my favorite things about God, one of these days we're going to break down what it is for him to be the great redeemer. This word, redemption, that conjures so much hope and joy and peace. But while we're not going to go into the fullness of that today, I just want you to look with me at Revelation chapter 21 so you can get a picture of what that great redemption will look like and why it's worth waiting for. The Apostle John, my favorite and the one I'd love to share coffee with someday, gives us an awesome view by the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the reality that the Lord never gave up on the goodness that he had in store for mankind. He will ultimately fulfill it. Let's read Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse three, where it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. In his goodness, from his goodness, and through his goodness, the Lord will set all things to right. I love the phrase, the former things have passed away, and I love it because I realize that today is becoming a former thing with every passing moment. Now, think back with me again to the fact that God's word will always be found true and his promises will always be fulfilled. Do you feel hope rising up? I sure do. And in fact, I can't wait to tell you that that hope is meant to be perpetual, consistent, that we can and should be living in it every single minute of every single day. I think of the common reminder, let's not forget that God hasn't fallen off his throne. It's a little quippy, but that doesn't make it any less true. God is God. He reigns supreme. And his promises are promises that will all be fulfilled, period, end of story. His goodness hasn't changed. His will hasn't changed. And the reality of his promises being found true will not be changed either. Go back with me one more time to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul quotes Isaiah saying, "'I has not seen nor ear heard.'" nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love them. Think about this. Think about what we do know about God's great plans for us. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. And yet, those are only the things that we can consider. Those are only the things that we have heard and seen. Imagine with me, will you, all of the many things that God has in store the great and good and wonderful things that he has in store that have yet to be revealed in us. Guys, if that doesn't get us excited about God's great goodness, his incredible love, and his wonderful heart towards us, I just simply can't imagine what would. So we came here to debunk a lie, didn't we? And now we have to choose what we're going to believe from here on out. Let's go over the pros and cons of each. What if we choose to remain in the lie? If we keep thinking that God isn't good and that he has been the cause of all the harm that we experience in this life, I'm here to tell you peace and hope are out the window. They're literally not even options in our lives. Not even to mention joy. If we continue in this lie, anger, resentment, bitterness, upset— are all that we can hope for in our future. What else could we possibly feel having nowhere to go with the hurt and and devastation that we've felt? And you know what these things breed, don't you? Have you ever heard the popular phrase, hurt people hurt people? Well, it's true. If we're living and operating from a place of hurt instead of healing, we ourselves will become the offender in the world we ourselves will lash out towards others and cause harm and damage to the relationships that we have, the people that we love, and even the dreams that we have stored away inside of our hearts. We become, without meaning to, saboteurs of our own lives, which, by the way, is exactly what the enemy of your soul loves to see. But if we change our minds today If we decide to walk in the truth of what God's Word has to say about His goodness and the enemy's wickedness, then again, we have the opportunity to choose a different life. In our grief, we can experience hope. Jesus says in that famous Sermon on the Mount that those who mourn will be comforted. Again, Revelation 21 tells us that there will be no more tears or sorrow. What we're living with today we will not live with for eternity. The opposite will be the case, in fact. If we remember that God is good and that he's always good, then we begin to trust him with the outcomes of our lives, even when they don't seem like something we would have chosen for ourselves. Let's look at the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, that says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, To those who are called according to his purpose. This verse says that all things work together to the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. All things, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that, my friends, is redemption at work in your life. And it's not an accident. Redemption in our lives is a product of faith, believing in God, trusting his word knowing His character and throwing ourselves upon it when we need mercy to receive mercy, when we need strength to receive strength. You see, knowing and believing and putting active trust in the fact that God is good is what opens the door to all of these blessed outcomes in our lives. And nothing else can do that for us. I often go back to one of my favorite verses in scripture Though, of course, you know by now that they're really all my favorite. But in Deuteronomy chapter 30, when Moses is addressing the children of Israel, he says to them in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. There's so much there to unpack, but I hope you've heard it. Choose life. And that's the same exhortation that I give to you today. Choose life. Choose blessing over cursing. Choose life over death. Choose hope over despair. Comfort over mourning. Rejoicing over even complaining. Isn't it wonderful that we even have the option? So I encourage you today, use that gift of free will that God gave you when he made you and choose life today. Choose hope. Choose peace. Choose freedom and victory over the world's troubles. Choose truth over the lie. God is good. He is for you, not against you. And that's never gonna change. Have you ever felt the sting of pain from a source you didn't expect? Maybe even a brother or sister in Christ? Me too. Join me next week as we explore one aspect of hurts in the body, commonly referred to as once saved, always saved. What is it? What are the implications of it? And what does God's word actually have to say on the matter? In the meantime, blessings to you all. And many thanks for joining me once again here at the Fighting Lies podcast. If it's been helpful, please don't forget to subscribe and share. So many have these questions, and each and every one is very fair. The good news is, though, that the Lord has the answers, and He wants you, me, and everyone to have them too. This podcast is written and produced by me, Melanie Wilkie, with original music by Mimic the Mind and Blue Marigold.